you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Fuma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky here as we march towards the NFL Scouting Combine. Buck, I think I've got... Uh, 11 days until I need to have all these guys finished up, man. And I am, uh, I'm feeling the crunch. I'm not going to lie. Feeling the crunch a little bit over here, cranking <laughs> out these dudes. Yeah, I think, I think we get like this, obviously, when, whenever you're dealing with deadlines, um, and the volume of players, uh, that you're responsible for, for watching and having to know, like it, it kind of gets tough when you get to the end. I think the best way, and we've talked about it, hey man, right now you're just trying to get them in the right neighborhood. You don't necessarily need to get them in the house. You just yep. got to get them in the right neighborhood. If you can have a general uh, area for where they kind of fit, where they kind of fall on the board, that would be ideal. And then as we get closer to the draft, that's when you begin to slot them into where you feel, feel like where they're really going to go. I'm glad that you said that because I want to give I want to give everybody listening a little uh, idea of what that looks like because that is exactly what you do. I, I'm going to just take one position and we'll go through it today, Buck, just the running back position to kind of explain what we're talking about right neighborhood. We'll eventually get them on the right street in the right house. But I look at it as like pods of players. Like I'm trying to put these guys in particular pods and then I'm going to go through the combine and I'm going to see, you know, official heights, weights, speeds. Some of these, you know, these juniors, we don't know how big they are. Uh, none of these guys, we, we have 40s on. So to get that and then also to to see these guys work out and then going in there with that mindset where you can say okay look I'm not trying to compare running back one to running back 20 I, I've got a group of three guys at the top in my top group I want to compare those three guys and I want to leave here go back watch some more tape and be able to solidify the order of those three and there's different pods throughout the draft period and I think that if you can get that set up before you go to the combine man it makes life a lot easier yeah it does make life a lot easier because um, and we've talked about it. We talked about it on the last episode of the pod about being able to put your pen down. Uh, you don't want to have these dramatic, great swings or be influenced by what you see with guys running around in T-shirts and shorts. You really want to grade them on 
what kind of football players there are. Most of the mistakes I believe that we make in the scouting industry happen when we kind of overvalue what we're about to experience in the combine and pro day workouts. Ultimately, football is a game played in pads, played in between the lines. You want to grade them on what they show during that part of the year. This other stuff is gravy. It's to assess the athleticism and those things, but we can't get carried away by someone's athletic potential when it doesn't match up to their performance on the field. Yeah, a couple, uh, beautiful. I, I, there's a couple of things I want to hit on in this episode, too. We're going to talk about with a potential new CBA and some potential uh, changes to the discipline um, setup, Buck, it, it's having impact on scouting as your scouting players go into this cycle. We'll explain what that is in just a minute. Also, uh, we're going to have a, a bigger discussion on kind of the grading skill. Lance, you know, I talked with Lance a bunch in the summer and, and, uh, and in, the, in the fall, and he kind of wanted to put a new grading skill together that reflected what some of the teams do in the NFL. So I kind of shared what we use, the teams I was with, and uh, he's kind of he's put together a, a very, very close uh, proximity to what we had uh, in Baltimore, which is now in, gosh, it came from New England, so it's right now, mm-hmm. Buck, that, tra- that uh, scale is in New England, it's in, uh, it's in Tennessee, it's in Baltimore, it's in Philadelphia, it's with the Jets, um, it, it's Atlanta. A lot of people have come from that tree, the Belichick tree where that started. Um, and so Lance has created this grading scale. It's very similar to those. And we'll discuss um, what that grading scale looks like, Buck, and how it helps to speak the same language in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I think the most important part, a lot of times when uh, we're chatting or we're having casual conversations and people bring up round value, well, I think it's important to understand that the grade that you give when it speaks to a round, it really speaks to the expectation of the player. And so if you can get the grade to match the verbiage, then you're more likely to get the player right in terms of how you're presenting him to management. So it's really important to understand the grading skill and also understand the language that comes with it. No doubt. And that is uh, it's something that, you know, we talk about when you're with teams, we would even use it to reference we could reference the lunch. Like, yeah, that was a 6-3 lunch today. Nah, it was a 59 <laughs> lunch. It wasn't that good. Like, we would put grades on everything. Uh, so it's just kind of speaking that same language, how that can help. Um, and I also want to talk about, uh, on today's show, Buck, um, this new trend. I think we're going to see a new wave. It's a new thought process, and it involves coaching, and it's also going to carry over to scouting. And I think it's a fascinating discussion. Looking forward uh, to having with you. But I, I want to start first. You, you mentioned at the, at the uh, top there, Buck, about getting these guys in the right neighborhood. Um, let's go running backs. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to kind of break this down of how I've split up these running backs, Buck. I want to get your thoughts on the process of, of it and, uh, and just kind of get where you, where you see you know, we're on the same page or maybe you have a little differences there. You ready to roll? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Now, I've now I've finished all the running backs, so I, I feel good where I am there. Um, in my first top 50, there will be a couple changes as we go to the next top 50 before the, the combine. But I've broken this up into one, two, three, four, five, six tiers mm. of kind of my top running backs and that six tiers contains five eight ten thirteen players so when we start at the top book the first tier of guys i want to try and sort out i've got three names um, it's deandre swift from georgia it's this is one that's moved up a little bit it was my fourth and now he's up here in this top tier edwards alaire clyde edwards alaire from lsu who i think's built kind of for the way a game is played right now and jk dobbins so that to me is my top tier of running backs. And now I went back and, and watched what these guys did in the passing game. It was kind of interesting. And I did it for all these players. Uh, DeAndre Swift caught 24 balls this year, 73 over his career. Edwards Lair caught 55 balls this year, you know, 69 over his career. So the bolt coming this year. Dobbins, 23 balls this year, 71 over his career. So career wise, you're looking at 73, 69, 71. So they've, they're very similar in how they've uh, had production in the passing game. But I think I have those three guys up there, Buck, because I think they're three down backs that can have a big-time impact on every single down and can be a a real factor there in the passing game. Um, And I feel like that's the top tier of backs for me as we come into the combine. Yeah, it's funny. I I don't disagree at all uh, with these guys. I think now more than ever, we've seen the importance of being able to catch the ball out the backfield, the way the running back position position has continued to evolve. Uh, Just look at what Christian McCaffrey has been able to do down in Carolina. Uh, Alvin Kamara, uh, you have to be able to do more to get on the field and really justify yourself as a number one player. When I think about DeAndre Swift, uh, 
Edward Solaire and J.K. Dobbins, I think all of those guys have tremendous potential and versatility in terms of being able to be utilized in the passing game. DeAndre Swift, to me, is funny. Um, I wrote this down, and I know Nabil won't know who this character is, but I know, DJ, you're a longtime wrestling fan. I wrote down in my notes when I was scouting DeAndre Swift, I called him Lex Luger. And anyone who, who remembers nice. like WC, nice. WCW, Lex the Luger, perfect. yeah, not only that, but he was the total yeah. package. When I look at DeAndre Swift, yeah. he is really the total package <laughs> at the thing. And so being able to run it, catch it out the backfield, I think he's tough enough to be able to block if you need to keep him in. But the running backs in that tier one category, they have to be able to do all of those things. So I love him. I love the LSU kid. I think he is uh, tremendous. The fact that he had 50 receptions just speaks to how you can utilize him in the passing game. And then J.K. Dobbins, to me, is just a pro. Like, there's look, there's not a lot of frills in his game, but he is just a workman, a a, a workhorse, a workman-like player who just kind of gets it done. I like those guys. I I, I think each of those guys that are in the Tier 1 category, um, I think they deserve to be up there. And I don't think you could even question why they're in that category. Yeah, the interesting thing with Edwards a layer book is I, I'm curious to see what he's going to run. I don't think he's going to run super fast, and he doesn't play super fast. Now, you go back to last year, um, we look at who ended up being the best back in, in the draft last year, Josh Jacobs. Um, Josh Jacobs ran, I was at the pro day, ran 4-6 flat, okay? So he's not, he did not rip off a big time 40 time, but he's, but his balance, his vision, and his short area burst um, were outstanding, and that's, that's what you need at the NFL level right now. And Edwards Alaire, when you watch him, Buck, out of, even in the passing game, right? You're not going to see a lot of 50s and 60s. What you're going to see is a lot of him catching balls in the flat, running angle routes, breaking tackles, you know, stepping through contact, lowering his shoulder, finishing forward, and you get a bunch of 10, you know, 12, 14, 18. That's what you're going to get from him. And, that, and that's what I really like. And I think one of the more overrated things when it comes to evaluating running backs is the speed factor as it relates to the 40-yard dash. Um, when I'm looking at running backs, yep. I want to see balance, body control, vision. I want to see finishing in terms of their ability to consistently fall forward at the end of runs. And now, because of the passing game, I need to see that they catch the ball and they can catch it naturally. If your running back cannot be factored prominently into the passing game, it really hinders and hamstrings your quarterback's ability to utilize all the weapons available to them. We're now reaching a point where if you're playing running back and you can't catch the ball, I don't really know what to do with you because it's hard to play with guys that can't be uh, integral in the passing game. No doubt. Uh, th- that's the first tier that I have right now coming to the combine. The second tier is two guys. And I'm really – I put these two guys together because I want to come out of the combine and I want to go back and watch a little more tape and I want to sort these two guys out, Buck. I've got Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin mm-hmm. uh, and I've got Cam Akers from Florida State. Oof. Those are the two guys. That is my tier two group. And I, I, I really like both these players. And I think Cam Akers is somebody – I don't know because Florida State wasn't any good that you haven't heard as much talk about him. You know about him going back to high school, Buck, mm-hmm. and, and how talented of a dude he is. But I think he's got a chance not only to end up at the top of Tier 2, I think he's really knocking on the door uh, with that Tier 1 group. But those two guys, I want to I come out of this process, Buck, and I want to sort out Jonathan Taylor and Cam Akers. Going to the catches, Taylor 26 this year, 42 for his career. Akers had 30 catches this year, 69 for his career. Uh, so pretty similar. Uh, I, I think it's interesting to look at the passing game with these guys and see if there's any you know drastic differences and really not, not much difference there with those two. No, not much difference with those two. And I would say of the two, I have tremendous amount of respect for what Jonathan Taylor has been able to accomplish at Wisconsin. He is productive. He's put up big numbers. Uh, he's a workhorse, steady and consistent throughout his time. Uh, we've seen Wisconsin running backs have success in the league uh, just because they get it. You worry about sometimes the mileage that they kind of accumulate while they're running, but uh, you can't really knock them. There are a ton of Wisconsin running backs in the league that are having success. Cam Akers, to me, is a little different. Cam Akers, to me, uh, by the end of the process, I believe he'll be on that line to creep up into tier one. And the reason why I'm so big on Cam mm-hmm. Akers is if you go all the way back and you look at high school, this guy was a quarterback in high school, meaning he played wildcat, single wing type quarterback. He has the, the uh, a level of athleticism and versatility that may not have been fully tapped into during his time in Tallahassee. And you talked about his ability to catch the ball out the backfield. I think when you see him physically and you see how he's built from what I call knee the shoulders he's built like a high level running back broad shoulders thick thighs runs through contact 
I don't know what happened at Florida State. I would say that their offensive line wasn't good, but I think <laughs> he is a player that I expect to be a much better pro than college player because he's going to get better opportunities to really showcase his wide area skills at the next level. Yeah, to me, if you look at kind of who has the chance to the most upward mobility uh, of the group that we so we've talked about five running backs who has a chance to kind of move the most it's acres i mean he's got a chance to to really find himself in the mix with these top guys um he's a very talented player so that that's my tier two uh we get to tier three buckets three guys um i've got uh uh, i've got zach moss from utah and these guys are similar players Keyshawn vaughn from vanderbilt and then I've got DJ Dallas from Miami, who's a really fun player to watch. Now, all three of these guys, none of them are going to break the stopwatch. Um, just physical, tough, um, instinctive, uh, real, real, just natural inside runners. And, and that's why I have them clumped together. And when you look at the passing game, how about this? I've said Moss and Vaughn, we've talked about it before, are two guys I have rolling right next to each other. There's a lot of similarities. So this year, Moss caught 28 balls. He's caught 66 balls in his career. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn this year, Buck, caught 28 balls. He's caught 66 balls in his career. Identical. Identical mm-hmm. this year and in their career in the passing game. So, um, it, it, to me, they're just they're very similar players. And then DJ Dallas, he caught 14 balls this year, only 28 in his career. Uh, so, he trails off in production in the passing game. But those three guys, to me, athletic ability, let's see who's just, just – want to see a little bit of juice i I know 40 times we don't get carried away can't run a four eight i I can't have you running a you know four seven five like just just get me that second number of six if the second number is a six for those three guys i'm golden you know i i I agree and the first two guys moss and vaughn i I actually love and i've written down in my notes that i believe both guys are kind of like the prototypical running back that plays for a long time in the league uh there's not a lot of uh sizzle to their games but it's a lot of substance when i look at zach moss what i love about his ability to run in between the tackles how he goes through contact how he keeps his balance how he finishes runs his ability to consistently put a big production in all games to me that matters vaughn i am impressed with a guy that was probably overmatched at vanderbilt meaning he didn't have enough weapons around him i know people are going to talk about the tight end and that other stuff but up front they had a tough time uh holding their own against some of those SEC defenses. But when you watched him play, he consistently found ways. And creativity is such a big part of playing running back in the National Football League, being able to run through trash, being able to make the offense coordinator right when the defense wins. I think Keyshawn Vaughn has some of that ability. I think that could make him a starter right away, despite being a guy that doesn't necessarily grade out as a Tier 1 or maybe even a Tier 2 prospect. Yeah, and, and DJ Dallas, the third guy on there, Buck, um, I'm looking through my notes here. He's he's a bulldog. He's a bulldog in short yardage, aggressive. He's the best pass protector. So while we talk about what mm-hmm. these guys do catching the ball out of the backfield, DJ Dallas is the best pass protecting back that I've seen. I've seen all these guys. So he, he is phenomenal in pass pro. Um, he's got really, really good vision, breaking tackles, uh, contact after the catch. He's just very aware, very aggressive. Um, and again, when you want guys that can protect the quarterback, that matters. Um, um, and he's really, really good at it. Look, uh, so we, let's get to the let's get to the last three tiers here, Buck, and we can kind of scoot through this so we can get to some of these other topics. Um, but so I have two guys together, which I want to sort out: Darrington Evans from from App State, uh, my alma mater, who has got big time juice, and then AJ Dillon from Boston College. Now mm-hmm. these guys are totally different body types, but they're both home run hitters. They're both speed guys, and. To me, you know, watching them, what they do in the passing game, a little bit limited. Evans, 21 catches this year. Dylan, 13. Evans has 39 over his career. Dylan only has 21. So I want to watch those guys specifically, Buck, what they can do catching the ball out of the backfield and, and can they be an asset in that area. Both guys can hit home runs. We know that. Yeah, different kinds of home run hitters. Um, it's funny because Evans, to me, is more kind of like an inside-the-park home run hitter because of the speed and the burst. Dylan uh, also <laughs> has juice, but it's just, just a little different in terms of how they do it. I like both players. Both players have tremendous opportunities. It is tough, though, when you're a little more one-dimensional and you're more run only as opposed to being a pass catcher out of the backfield. But the combine will give us opportunities to see those guys run routes. And as you're beginning to stack the board and trying to figure out where these guys slots, you have a tendency to lean towards the guy that shows a little more in the passing game. No doubt. And that's why I have those two grouped together. The next two, I'm almost calling this like my senior bowl tier because, Buck, I feel like these guys, like, I gave them a rose, right? If this was the competition, <laughs> if this was The Bachelor or whatever, uh, I, gave, I, gave, I gave Josh Kelly uh, and I gave Gibson from Memphis, uh, Antonio Gibson, I gave both those guys the rose as they came out 
out of there. And both guys, to me, uh, are grouped together. And I thought it was very close between the two of them throughout the week and in the game. And I want to try and see if we can separate and sort those guys. Uh, Kelly, only 11 balls caught this year. But we've talked about that before. Um, Chip Kelly wanted to give him a little bit of a blow. 38 catches in his career. Uh, Gibson, who was basically a receiver slash running back, he caught 38 balls. Uh, only 44 in his career, so really was kind of a, a short-term player there. Uh, but you've uh, you've got tremendous touchdown production from Gibson and Kelly. We saw what he can do in the Senior Bowl game. Buck, I know he's a he's a favorite of yours. Look, I I really like both of these players, and I think the versatility matters. Uh, we talk about now uh, the previous guys in Tier Four were more run-only guy. These guys are more receiving backs, guys that can catch the ball out the backfield. Uh, Josh Kelly is interesting to me, and I go back to the conversation that Matt Rule had on our podcast. When he talked about having guys who've had to go through a little football adversity. Well, the football adversity that I'm really intrigued with, impressed by how Josh Kelly navigated was transferring up to go from a small school to being able to play on a bigger stage and to have better production. To me, this speaks volumes about how he's wired and, and, and kind of what, how he's con- constituted on the inside. He has a level of toughness and focus and competitiveness that I like. And then watching that kind of play out at the Senior Bowl, I think it's easy to fall in love with him as a player. Don't know what the round value should be, but I think when we talk about red star players, guys that have found a way to make it, Josh Kelly's going to find a way to make it in the league. No doubt. Um, and the last tier is a one-man tier, Buck, because he's my he's my might be my favorite player that I've watched through this whole process. J.J. Taylor from Arizona. Uh, J.J. Taylor is listed at 5'6", 185 pounds, Buck. But if you watched a guy like Boston Scott in the uh, mm-hmm. in the towards the end of the year and in the postseason there with the Philadelphia Eagles and how they used him and just a dynamic little player. Um, J.J. Taylor is a lot like that. And I, to me, I think he's somebody – I'd draft him. I'd take him uh, you know, at the right point in time. I don't know when that is. Um, but I, I have him. He's on my draftable list, and he, to me, is in that gosh buck. If you have extra picks, I'd take this dude in the fourth round, fourth, fifth round, and I've got a little playmaker that I can use. Screen, draws. I'd get him involved in the return game. He has some experience there. Mm-hmm. The guy's a football player, man. I don't care how little he is. Okay, DJ. Now, I know that we are supposed to judge guys based on what they did solely – in college, but sometimes some of the high school stuff leaks in. J.J. Mm-hmm. Taylor is a Southern California legend for what he was able to do in high school. Playing at Corona Centennial, you talk about a guy that was 5'6", and you talk about him being 185, he might have been 165 at Centennial, but he was unstoppable when he had the ball in his hands. His toughness, <laughs> his competitiveness, and if anyone who has seen Corona Centennial play, for me to describe it on air would be Imagine watching an offensive line where the the splits are like four feet split. So these huge holes between these offensive linemen. Then you have a little running back that you're handing the ball, and he is just shooting through there like a jitterbug. His ability to make plays is real. And I know at Arizona, he didn't get a full opportunity to kind of display everything that he has. But like you said, at the end of the year, when we saw uh, Boston Scott for the Philadelphia Eagles kind of make plays, that's when these guys begin to really factor into it late in the year when everyone is tired. If you can have a little juice player, a player that maybe has been on the practice squad for the first half of the season or he hasn't gotten many reps, but he has fresh legs. We used to call those guys salad, salad guys, because they're all fresh and crispy. <laughs> if, he, if he has an opportunity to play for a team down the stretch, man, his freshness, his juice could really energize an offense. I love it. Well, that, it, this is a this is just a one example here of, of kind of how you try and get set up as you go to the combine. Now, obviously, there's more draftable running backs beyond that list, but these are kind of those are my top tier guys. I wanted to kind of highlight those, um, and we'll see how it all sorts out. Buck, we have some other things we need to get to here, but I, we do have some breaking news. So, uh, Philip Rivers and the Chargers have come out with a statement that says uh, they've mutually agreed that Rivers will enter free agency. Mm. Um, I, I'm going to read you some of these quotes, Buck, and then we can kind of talk about what this means. This is from Tom Telesco, the general manager. Uh, after stepping back a little bit from last season, we reconnected with Philip and his representatives to look at how 2019 played out, assess our future goals, evaluate the current state of the roster, and see if there was a path forward that made sense for both parties. As we talked through various scenarios, it became apparent that it would be best for Philip and the Chargers to turn the page on what has been a truly, uh, what has truly been a remarkable run. We agreed that making this decision well before free agency would allow everyone to put themselves in the best position for success in 2020. 
I've said before that Phillip can still compete on, at a top starter level, and in a perfect world, number 17 is your quarterback forever. Obviously, we live in an imperfect world where the only constant is change. I think Phillip's tremendous perspective, both when it comes to football and when it comes to life, helped lend clarity to a very complex situation. Uh, that was from Tom Telesco. Here's Rivers. Um, I'm grateful to the Spanos family and the Chargers organization for the last 16 years. And anything you do, it's the people you do it with that make it special. There are so many relationships and memories with coaches, support staff, teammates that will last forever. And for that, I am so thankful. I never took for granted uh, the opportunity to lead this team out on the field for 235 games. We had a lot of great moments beginning in San Diego and then finishing in L.A. I wish my teammates and coaches nothing but the best moving forward. I'm not sure what the future holds, but my family and I look forward to seeing what God has planned for us next. Um, so there you go, Buck. Your uh, your thoughts on the Chargers and Philip Rivers going in opposite directions now? Well, a couple of different things. One, tremendous amount of respect for what Philip Rivers has accomplished. Um, he talked about the 235 games. Uh, ultimately, when you draft a quarterback, a, a quarterback at the top of the board, you hope that he can be a guy that is dependable and reliable and is able to show up each and every week. By definition, that is what the expectation and standard of a franchise quarterback is. Each and every week, I know my quarterback is going to be in there. I think when you look at his career, look, they've been tremendous highs, and I think Philip Rivers has played at a high level. Um, if he had um, Super Bowl rings and those things, I think he's a shoe-in to get to the Hall of Fame. He doesn't necessarily have that. I think the biggest thing with Phillip Rivers where we are now, Phillip Rivers has struggled with turnovers the last couple years. He's always been a gunslinger in those things, but sometimes when you get older, your mind thinks that you can do things that your body physically can't do. So your mind writes checks that your body can't cash. Can Phillip Rivers have an honest self-assessment and see where he is? And can he meet up with a coach that can meet him halfway? And will he be willing to kind of tone down his playing style to kind of fit where you can play winning football? That would be my, my, my thing. Can he find a way to look at himself and understand what his strengths and weaknesses are now in year 16, year 17, as opposed to what they were year one or year two when he entered the league? Yeah, I think when you, you look at it last year was really where the turnovers, you know, kind of exploded. Um, and, you know, it's it, you can't it's tough. You can't you can't win football games uh, when you're turning the ball over that much is, is what happened there. But when you look at uh, what he did previously, I'm pulling up the number right now, Buck, he had he only had, he had the previous two years. Um, he had 32 touchdowns, 12 picks, 28 touchdowns, 10 picks. So. That's that's winning football. I mean, mm -hmm. when you can do that, when you're when you're keeping your limiting your turnovers to that to that degree. He had 20 this year, 23 touchdowns, 20 picks. Um, you know, I haven't seen this team each and every week. I think you can attribute some of that to the pressure that he was under. Um, mm -hmm. But you can't def you can't defend some of the decisions that were made. So I think to me, the biggest thing for Philip is going somewhere where he has really really firm good protection. Um, and that's why I've been beating this drum the whole time. I think that the the team that makes the most sense is Indianapolis Colts um, because of the familiarity uh, with the scheme with Frank Reich, but also because of the offensive line they have uh, right now there. I think that makes uh, the most sense for him. And I think he's capable even at 38 years old. I still think you can get a couple of years out of him at, at a pretty high level, but I do think protection matters for him uh, maybe more so than any other of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now. It's funny that you talked about the Indianapolis Colts because it does fit and it fits on a few different levels. You talked about the scheme where Frank Wright obviously has been around Phillip Rivers. He understands his strengths and weaknesses. He certainly can build a, a game plan around what Rivers does. Um, the coach, Frank Wright, there has to be a level of respect between player and coach and coach and player. And I think they have that mutual respect. I think Phillip will submit to the hard coaching that Frank Wright may need to do to do to help him play at a higher level. And then the last part is the offensive line. The Indianapolis Colts, for all of the things that they've done, the best thing that they've done is really build a fortress up front. They can run the football with Marlon Mack or anybody else, but up front, they're really solid. And where Phillip Rivers is now, this stage of his career, and this is true for all older quarterbacks, the older you are, the more you need to support to be there and available, the better the supporting cast has to play. Phillip Rivers is not needed to carry the team every week, but in a perfect world, you would like to have the veteran quarterback to be able to win four to five games down the stretch on his experience, his wisdom, his zeal, and all those other things. I think the Indianapolis Colts can put Phillip Rivers in a situation where he only needs to win four or five, that they can win him with the other parts of the team. I just don't think he could continue to be a guy who has to shoulder the entire 
workload to be responsible solely for winning games. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, at this point in time, we said the same thing about Tom Brady. I don't know that you want to go someplace and have to learn an entire new system. So if you are going to move on, to me, the Colts, the familiarity there, um, I think that would be a a smooth transition. We'll see what other opportunities present themselves. You know, you've got the Raiders. You hear that one uh, mentioned out there. Uh, Who knows what they're going to do. Tampa is another one, although I just don't think, you know, as much vertical as they want to do, I think as he gets later in his career, I don't know if that's really going to be what Phillip wants to do or is is in his sweet spot, although they got tremendous weapons to to throw to out there. Um, That's another one to keep an eye on. The Bears, you know, do they bring in, you know, they try and bring him in and, and, uh, and, you know, try and move on from Mitch Trubisky. I don't know. I, I don't think that would happen, but that's a, that's another possibility. Any other teams that come to your mind? The only team that comes to mind, and some of this has to do with his college days, I would say the Carolina Panthers. And the only reason why I would say the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, that is, a, that is actually a good one. Uh, the Carolina Panthers, he played at NC State. If they move on from Cam and just depending on, on how the Carolina Panthers attempt to kind of rebuild their team, if they rebuild it, one, they have a running back behind them in Christian McCaffrey where they can run the football. They can pound the football and do some of those things. And I know Joe Brady is running this offense and they're doing a lot of the things that the New Orleans Saints have done with Drew Brees. Well, I think if Joe Brady is smart and he pops in some of that tape of Drew Brees of late, they've also had to kind of tone down their offense to accommodate a quarterback who may not have the same arm talent that he once possessed. And so for Rivers, could Rivers play in a scheme like that? I do believe that there's some kind of crossover that would work, but I think the Carolina Panthers would be a good situation because he does have a natural tie-in to the fan base. And I think for maybe a two-year period, maybe he could offer them. It's just a matter of, does he want to play for a team that may not look like they're ready to compete at a high level on paper? All right. Can I give you one one other connection there? So Phillip Rivers went to NC State, mm-hmm. right? His, his strength and conditioning coach uh, at that time was a guy named Pat Meyer. Pat Meyer would then leave strength and conditioning, would go into coaching, become an offensive line coach. Pat Meyer uh, has spent – the last 12 years as the offensive line coach and run game coordinator with the Los Angeles Chargers. Pat Meyer just left the Los Angeles Chargers and is the offensive line coach of the Carolina Panthers. Mm. So you have a very, very close connection there. Uh, somebody that knows Phillip Rivers going all the way back to his college days and through the bulk of his NFL career. Um, and they are having, you know, having worked with the team the last couple of years. They have a great relationship, very close. So he would definitely have an advocate there in Meyer. Look, it may, it may work. So right there, you, you, we've listed the Indianapolis Colts, uh, the Oakland Raiders, the Carolina Panthers. You listed. I one think more. I would go Colts. I think I would go Colts Panthers. I think I think just, just kind of workshopping this thing as we're talking about breaking news. I think those two teams make the most sense. No, I, I think they, they do make a they do make a lot of sense. Uh, I think it has to be the right situation. Coach, scheme, offensive line, all of those things have to work. But uh, I fully expect them to play in 2020. It's just a matter of him finding the right fit for him. Yep, no doubt. Um, all right, Buck. Let's uh, let's get to this uh, the grading scale conversation here because uh, Lance pumped out this new grading scale and we have it. We'll actually tweet it out. Why don't we? Uh, yeah, we'll tweet it out. We'll tweet it. I'll tweet it out. You'll tweet it out. Move the six at Bucky Brooks. You'll find it. Uh, we'll tweet it out. But we want you guys to be able to start speaking the same language with us as we're talking about players, and we might drop grades on some of these guys. And so you just really, if you just kind of print this this grading scale out, you'll know exactly what we're talking about and um, kind of feel like you're you're part of the scouting staff here that we've kind of assembled. It's almost like we're the 33rd uh, uh, scouting department here, Buck. Um, but the importance of the grading scale in general, Buck, and uh, and just how it's different from team to team. You know, the, the importance of the grading scale is wh- what you want to do when you create a grading scale is you want all your scouts and coaches and everyone involved with evaluating players to speak the same language. And so there's a lot made of, like, in the Twitterverse about, hey, I had a first-round grade on this guy, or I thought he was a fourth-round grade, or whatever. And I just want everyone, and DJ and I have talked about this, we want everyone to understand that there's a correlation between what round value you assign to a prospect with how you expect him to play very, very early in his career. And it's very important that you kind of understand that and that the grades are not really made based on where guys are going to get picked on draft day for other teams or whatever, but really 
how you envision a player coming and playing on your team and how he fits. And so that's why uh, grades are like snowflakes, especially as it goes from team to team. Mm-hmm. There are no two grades that are ever alike. Like You just have different grading skills, different visions. Some teams want to evaluate players for their team. Others grade them for the league. And so when we look at this grading skill that has been created, where 8-0 is the top of the board, 8-0 is number one pick, means he's the perfect prospect. So you're talking about gold jacket worthy, a guy with few flaws. Yep. Eight O should never really be thrown out there. I, I've never thrown out an eight O. Um I never had the luxury of being I able to one. <laughs> I'll never do it again. Who 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 did you put an eight O? Reggie on? Bush. That was my one eight O. That was it. I mean I went Reggie high. I, took I went a high big I bite out of that apple. I did I didn't I didn't I didn't go that high, but I I went high. Um on, on this grading scale we talked about a perennial all pro talent. And a lot of people will um pushback what does that mean a perennial all pro talent where when you see a guy he dominates to the point where you can just envision him stepping right into the league and in year one dominating the game dominating the game and 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 in in such a manner that he not only collects like an offensive or defensive rookie of the year award but he is a pro bowler or an all pro player that everyone Mm -hmm. sees him as one of the top two or three at his position immediately that's the kind of stuff. I think a guy that would qualify for this now based on how he played for sure and the way he was drafted, Nick Bosa. Nick Bosa yep. was drafted high at number two, played like he was the second overall pick. That would be the perfect example of if yep. I'm going to throw a grade on a guy, I want him to look like that and play like that at the end of his rookie season. No doubt. And and, and kind of when you go through the whole scale, and, and again, we'll, we'll tweet it out, you guys can look at it, but Really, it's talking about you know what you see in him as a player. That's where I would focus on. Now, when you look to the left column, you'll see there we kind of just put the rounds in there of traditionally where these players will fall in in the draft. Um, but you know, there's some teams that grade off rounds. Um, I, I think the the better way to look at it is okay. What is he? Is he you know from the different categories from you know perennial All Pro to a you know Pro Bowl type player to a quality starter. Um, to we have the boomer bust grade, which is the six five, which I'll get to that in just a second. Um, then you've got you know potential future starters, and you go all the way down to backups, role players. So to me, you kind of put them in those in those buckets, and then that kind of correlates with where traditionally what round those guys traditionally go in. Yeah, I'm 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 all about it. Like I I, I think you just have to kind of understand, and it takes a while for guys to kind of slot it to to kind of understand how it fits in terms of making the the grade and the words and the way you write it up kind of match up. And then when you work for a team, there are other factors that kind of help you compute the grade to get you to the point where it kind of lands you at a certain area based on critical factors, based on position specifics and character and some of the other things. But if you can take this grading skill and as you're beginning to um, evaluate players in this process and looking at how the, you see them playing, how you see them as either Pro Bowl talents or day one starters from the time they walk off the plane, that is how you begin to kind of affix grades to that and will give you a more realistic view on how we stack it. And, and just so everyone understands, and I learned this from Ron Wolf, Ron Wolf would say that in most drafts and most draft classes in the first round, there are about 20 to 24 prospects that are really first-round picks. And so you should be very, very stringent upon what you really throw a first-round grade on. Like, those guys need to really be worthy of being first-round picks. Not saying that they'll get picked there, but when you grade them, this is what a first-rounder looks like. Because we tend to make mistakes in the scouting thing. Well, A, I feel like he's going to be picked in the first round, so I'm going to put that on there. Then when we get him and we look at him, like, man, why did we take this guy in the first round when we knew he wasn't really a guy that could be an impact starter or whatever? So always hold it to that ideal standard for what you want a guy to play like um, coming into the league. No doubt. Um, and, and we're going to continue to talk about this uh, this grading skill as we go through the spring and March towards the draft. There's one other conversation I want to have here, Buck. Uh, I know Philip mm-hmm. Rivers in that chat took up some of our time here. Uh, but... Um, 
one of our, our mutual friends, Jeremiah Washburn, who started out in scouting with me with the Baltimore Ravens, then went into coaching, was an offensive line coach in the NFL for a decade plus with the Lions, the Bears, the Dolphins, um, and then has now uh, been with the Philadelphia Eagles last year and then this year, which just announced he's going to be the director of player personnel as well as um, – is going to uh, help coach on the defensive line. So he's going to mm-hmm. be like a senior defensive assistant or I don't know exactly what the title is. Uh, but it's going to help on the defensive side of the ball. And it's something that we've talked about off the air about the advantages of having somebody with knowledge from the other side of the ball in your in your room, in your position group. And and with him being able to help a defensive line and, and help them understand how to attack uh, the weaknesses in the scheme they might be playing against that week, to be able to, to evaluate the offensive line personnel and know okay this guy cannot handle this that or the other help you craft a game plan of how to attack schemes and players it makes a lot of sense when you think about it of having knowledge on the other side of the ball and you brought up a a couple other great examples of guys who have experience on one side who are helping the other yeah dj this this cross training model is something that is fascinating but it's also something that goes all the way back um and I know some of our listeners won't even know who this coach is, but Tom Landry, a uh, famous coach for the Dallas Cowboys. Tom Landry was the <laughs> defensive coordinator for the New York Giants. Yet when he was the head coach for the Dallas Cowboys, he called the offense. So if you can just think about mm-hmm. that, Tom Landry was known for being a defensive mind, but yet he goes to the Dallas Cowboys. And as the head coach, he is the guy that is calling the offensive plays. And as you think about that, typically, if I'm a defensive back, I know offense. I know wide receivers. I know what they do. I know what gives me problems when I am in coverage. I can use that knowledge to help someone know, hey, here's what we should be looking for when we're evaluating wide receivers. These are the kind of guys that give us problems from the defensive standpoint. So from a personnel standpoint, understanding the kind of players that give defenders problems. From a schematic standpoint, it is understanding what offenses do better yet is understanding how defenses play so Raheem Morris uh the past couple years spent time for the Atlanta Falcons he had been a defensive coordinator in Tampa he was a head coach he goes to Atlanta starts the DB they move him to pass game coordinator on offense well he is able to sit there and talk to the offensive coordinator about hey here are the weaknesses of this coverage here's the weaknesses of this defense that they're playing and that knowledge should be advantageous because now the offense understands how to attack and so when you're able to tap into someone who is coming from the other side of the ball they give you a level of knowledge and expertise that you don't have and it should really elevate your ability to come up with game plans that allow you to attack the biggest weaknesses yeah, I, I look, it goes all the way back, as you mentioned, Buck, and I think Jim Schwartz is smart for uh, for incorporating this, and we'll see. I think you're going to see more and more of it around the league, uh, having guys with experience and putting them in those rooms, um, seeing if they can they can really help you out there. And I, I'm fascinated to see where it goes from here to the evaluating part because as we went through that cluster of players of running backs, what happens is – you know, from a scouting standpoint, you'll give those different clusters to your running back coach and you'll ask him to rank within that cluster, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, just however you have those guys ordered. You don't ask him to compare the, the top cluster, the bottom cluster, just, just inside those individual clusters, stack them. And I think, man, you know, if, if you're running a team right now, I would take that same cluster and I would go over to the linebacker coach and I would say, coach, rank these guys, watch them, rank them. Who would you not, who would give you fits? Who would you not want to play against and, and give me that same order? It might, might be interesting to see what you find there when you get guys, uh, you know, like, like Alvin Kamara is, is one that's interesting. You know, if he come when he comes mm-hmm. out, we loved him. We put big grades on him, but the league kind of had him pushed down a little bit. Well, I guarantee you defensive coordinators, sit there and watch him going, wait a second, I don't want to have to defend this guy. This is a nightmare. Yep. Uh, same thing for Christian McCaffrey and all those types of backs. Yeah, DJ, I, I think it works. I also think, um, and I use it more recently with the athletic quarterbacks. Um, there was a trend there for a long time. The guys who had the mobile runaround quarterbacks were all defensive coaches. Why? Defensive because coaches, defensive yep. coaches understand the problems that those guys present. Uh, look in Buffalo, Sean McDermott and Josh Allen. John Harbaugh is a special teams guy, but he spent time on the defense side of the ball. He has Lamar Jackson. I mean, it just goes on and on. Ron Rivera, when he had Cam Newton, it goes on and on. So there is some uh, validity to what you're talking about when it comes to cross-training, cross-references. 
cross-referencing is because when you work on one side of the ball, you know what gives you problems from the other side. Uh, if you tap into that, it, it could be very, very advantageous for you. Yeah, I think it's fun. I think it's a fun conversation to have there. Um, I, I do want to add this, Buck, before we uh, before we roll out of here. Um, we have our big uh, our answer podcast, question and answer podcast, coming up on Wednesday. So we tease this, and this is actually going down. So as you're listening to this, and we'll tweet it out as well, uh, hashtag AskMTS, hashtag AskMTS. Drop your draft questions in there. Uh, drop, uh, drop your off-season questions in there. It could be anything about free agency, whatever you want. Um, but we're going to devote an entire episode on Wednesday to, to answering your questions, trying to give back to you guys and as appreciation uh, for, for checking us out and staying with us here. Um, we, can definitely, uh, we can definitely handle that on Wednesday. The last thing I want to talk about, Buck, um, we tease this at the top, so we got to pay it off. Mm-hmm. We don't have to go long on this, but I, I do think it's fascinating in talking to some, some personnel departments around the league. This whole thing with the new CBA coming down and what looks to be that what we're hearing is that um, the punishment for marijuana is going to be nowhere near as severe as it currently is. And there are some players in this draft, some very talented players uh, that have had multiple you know, failed tests at their schools. And in the past, man, Buck, you have to really pay a price on your draft board for this yes. because you – you don't want to you don't be missing these guys with games. Now, it, it, with the gray area where we are, it's difficult because, well, if this is the only issue the guy's had, he hasn't had any other issues, he's got a marijuana issue. Well, if that's no longer going to be you know, punitive um, from the league standpoint, then why are we moving this guy down our draft board? He's really, really talented. That is, it is very tricky to navigate right now for personnel departments. It is tricky, DJ. And I remember... Um Gosh, and it's gotten a bit. So from I was there from 2000, 2007 at the end, my, at the end of my term with the Carolina Panthers. Like we would put like little marijuana leaves on the sticker on a player's card if he had failed mm-hmm. the test or two, and it was a very, very negative connotation to guys who failed tests. Well, now because of the legalization of marijuana in so many states, um, it's kind of hard to ding them to the same level uh, when it comes to it. And then when you think about some of the research and stuff that comes back um, on like healing and and those things um i don't know if it carries the same kind of stigma that it once carried and so as the cba is being negotiated as uh the owners and the players determine what to do with the marijuana issue i do believe it will change how uh evaluators how decision makers will make these decisions and determinations about prospects based on what they have in their history but yeah it's kind of time for it to change because it is one of those things where uh we kind of punish people maybe too severely for things that are kind of um being legalized in our country so it's a change it'll be interesting to see how it plays out Yep, no doubt. It's something, again, kind of tricky. Maybe we end up having a a collective bargaining agreement before the draft. That would make things a lot easier in terms of setting your board. Uh, Anything else you want to throw in there, Buck, before we wrap this bad boy up? No, but I do want to mention this one thing. In talking about the stuff where we talked about, like, the coaching and cross-training, one thing that comes to mind when you talk about Jeremiah uh, going down and coaching, coming from his evaluator seat, this is something that the New England Patriots had done Mm -hmm. for a long time. Bill Belichick would have his evaluators, Nick Cesario, yeah, come from a being a personnel guy to coaching on the field to back there. And the premise behind that is it's one thing to evaluate and evaluate from afar. It's another thing to kind of put your feet in the grass and to coach and determine. I just believe the more hats that you can kind of wear within the organization, the better it is for you when you kind of ascend to the top. I think this move will really help Jeremiah as he continues to kind of grow as a, a, a personnel, be it executive or coach. I just think it makes it makes him better. And I remember as a, as a prospect, as a player, Ozzie Newsom was working for the Cleveland Browns. Ozzie Newsom ran the workout. Ozzie Newsom at the time was like their, mm-hmm. their tight end coach, and he kind of moved up the thing. But think about how Ozzie is revered for his personnel um, decisions and what he's been able to do throughout his career. I think some of his success comes from his ability to touch players in a bunch of different ways. As a player, as a scout, as a coach, all of that experience kind of helped him make really, really good decisions on people on draft day. 
100 percent um and i think there's no denying the results that ozzy's had yeah i'm excited for jeremiah it's a good setup for him um going forward there and i think you're going to see this as a trend that starts to uh, be copied around the league we'll see more and more of it because it just makes too much darn sense um all right buck that's going to do it for us man again remember hashtag ask mts drop us your questions we've got a bunch of reviews i do want to say thanks everybody because we've got a bunch of itunes or uh, mm-hmm. apple podcast reviews lately i just looked that up the other day um and we're really climbing up the the numbers there as we get towards the spring it's our time of year um so do us a favor keep those coming if you haven't left us left us a review we do appreciate that you can always drop drop questions in the reviews as well we'll, we'll check those out um and tell a friend uh this is a this is the fun time of year we love this podcast we love this forum we love uh, having you guys along for the ride he's bucky brooks i'm daniel jeremiah nabil nice job producing we'll see you next time right here on move the sticks You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.